Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. This uh, week we, uh, we came face to face with evil. We sometimes are lulled into the belief that this world is safe and secure and that everybody's good and everybody's happy and everybody's for each other. This week we, we saw a government move against another government in such a way that is, uh, only can be described as evil. The Russian government, uh, boy, the Russian people, a lot of good people there, a lot of, a lot of believers in Russia, a lot of brothers and sisters that we will see in Christ, but the government right now making some choices that can only be described as evil. We sometimes, again, think that we live in a, a safe realm, realm a, a, a realm that people don't do bad things to each other, that, that people treat each other with respect and honor, but we really saw the ugliness of humanity this week, haven't we? We've seen the, 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 the gross nature of, of human pride, human power, human lust for position and, and respect. We've seen just terrible things happen again in Europe. I think it was capsulized by me with the image of the little white car driving down the road and the, the Russian tank veering over and just running over the car full of civilians. Just the evil of that action magnified on a great suffering scale of the hundreds of thousands of refugees now, and uh, I think of the moms and the babies running down the street, all because of human evil, demonic evil. At times like this, we are prone to start asking questions, prone to start thinking about uh, what's going on in the world. And as people who believe in God, we naturally turn towards asking the question, where is God in this? What is God up to? What is God doing to rescue the world? To save people from death? Maybe you've asked those questions. Maybe you haven't. Maybe there's been an angst all week or a frustration or a, a, a feeling, an emotion this week that's just got you down. What is God doing in our world? What has He done to rescue the world? Let's talk about it. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 7. We continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. May God bless the reading of His Word. Chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to see the sea, uh, to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. 
Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. He strictly ordered them not to make him known. Please pause there. This is uh, what we call, if you've taken Bible study methods or you've learned to do an inductive Bible study, this, this report is a summary report. We come to a place in Mark's Gospel where he summarizes the action where he summarizes all that's been happening. He's been picking out very selective uh, accounts in Jesus' life, selective accounts of Jesus' history. And in these verses, much like in chapter 1, he summarizes what's been going on. Jesus, as we saw last week, was, uh, was being attacked. The Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians on how to kill him. And so we see here he's withdrawn to the sea, the, the lake, he's, he's withdrawn to the Sea of Galilee. It's a strategic withdrawal. He's not frightened by their threats. He's not frightened by the evil that they're plotting. But it's not yet time. It's not yet his time to go to Calvary. So he withdraws. He pulls back. He, he goes to the sea. Now, what's interesting is Capernaum is on the sea, so what does it mean he went to the sea? Well, he went to an isolated region on the Sea of Galilee. He went with his disciples. That's an important note who he's with. Uh, the crowds started hearing, of course, the summary report is crowds from all over the, the whole land and beyond the land of Israel heard of Jesus by this time. Uh, it's like a, uh, looking at the map. Galilee on the northern part of Israel, uh, Judea, the southern part of Israel, and Jerusalem. Idumea, that's 120 miles south of Galilee, kind of southeast of Galilee. Uh, beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan, east of Israel. And then north, northwest, Tyre and Sidon. They are they're all the points of the compass, and of course to the west is, to the, west is the sea of the Mediterranean Sea. And so the people are coming from everywhere. Great crowds are coming to see Jesus. Great crowds are coming to see because they've heard what he's been doing. They've heard what he's done. The miracle worker is changing people's lives. One that has authority is preaching, not like the scribes. Stories are spreading of how he saved so-and-so, and he saved her, and he saved even him from disease and, and cast out demons. Something's happening. He's predicting, he's prophesying, he's preaching the news that God's kingdom is at hand. So it's, it's wild times, it's big times, it's, it's crazy. And, and we see the contrast between the, the Pharisees who want to kill him at this point because they think he's a Sabbath breaker, a lawbreaker, and the opinion of the, of the crowds, of the common people. Uh, the opinion of the Pharisees is he's doing miracles in, against God's will, He's doing it demonically and by the power of evil, as we'll see in future passages. Uh, the crowds are saying, no, he's serving God. He's doing what's right. He's doing what's honorable. And he's, he's making a difference in our country. They're, they're praising him. And then, well, we, we have the demons. Demons are fallen angels. Uh, biblically, if you wondered what unclean spirits are, what demons are, uh, God created, a, in the beginning, God created a... a, a species, for lack of better terms, of angels, created beings. And at some point before, at the beginning of the world, they, there's a group of them that rebelled against God. We call them fallen angels. 
uh, unclean spirits, demons. They, they are not on the same level of power as God, of course. They are created beings. There's not a dualism involved with, with demonology or Satanology or something. Uh, God is God, and He reigns and He rules. And His angels are more powerful than the fallen angels. And nevertheless, there are evil spirits in this world. They're not omniscient. They don't know your thoughts. Uh, they're, they're not everywhere. They're, they're not omnipresent. But they exist to pull people away from God. They are... Liars and deceivers, like the father of lies is. Uh, they will do anything to pull you away from your faith in God, to wreck your life, to ruin your life. That's their nature. And so the, the demons, however, they because they're from the spiritual realm, because they've uh, seen things that people perhaps haven't, they know who, who Jesus is. And, and why do you think that they keep saying, uh, keep testifying to Jesus' identity? Why do you think they keep testifying and saying things like, you're the son of God? Well, uh, in ancient times, it was thought that you could control people by knowing their name. It was thought that you could control people. And sometimes we see people uh, uh, claiming uh, other people's names so they can use the, the name in, in a magic spell or an incantation or, or some kind of a, 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 a practice where they using the name, they take control of somebody. And so the demons are, have this, this, this crazy attempt by, we know who you are, you're Jesus of Nazareth. We know who you are, you're the Son of God. We know who you are. So they're trying to control Jesus. And it's, it's a fruitless endeavor because he will not be controlled. He silences them. We see his power over and over again, again against the demonic realm and against evil. We look at this and we remember uh, before the cross how the gospel was preached. Now, I, I've, I brought it up again and again and, and as we've gone through Mark. The, the gospel before the cross is a story. And what I mean by that doesn't mean it's not true, it doesn't mean it's not real, but when Jesus announced the kingdom of God, I praise God, the, the, the good news is here, the kingdom of God has come. He's He's announcing the end of a story. He's announcing the redemptive story of the whole Bible, of, of God's redemptive uh, speaking to humanity. Remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. And then He created humanity and it was very good. Remember the, the way the story goes, however, that the creation, there was a fall. Sin entered the world. You know, Satan brought sin. And we, we, you know, beyond that, we can't describe evil. We can't describe sin other than Satan brought it to Adam and Eve. Satan brought sin to, to the world, and, and the world fell as, as we summarize the, the happenings. A fallen world, a broken world that we're still feeling the effects of. But you remember, even in Genesis 3, with, with the, the prophecy about Satan's head being crushed, even in Genesis 12, there, there was a story that started to be told of redemption. God had a plan. He started through Abraham. He started through Abraham's family, the patriarchs. He started through the nation of Israel. He had a plan of saving the world. He was going to win the world back. He was going to bring the world back into himself under his reign and his rule. He started with the nation of Israel. He started with this people that he called his very own. He called them to be light in the world. He called them to, to represent him in the world. He, he, he was moving in the midst of broken humanity. There's all kinds of, in the Old Testament, you can still read them, of course. All kinds of preparations for the salvation of the world. All kinds of promises for the salvation of the world. 
all kinds of prophecies about the world being saved, the world being rescued. When God came back, when God came back and He set Israel on, a, on the mountain, all the nations of the world, Isaiah 2, would stream to God's, God's kingdom, God's reign. And all kinds of prophecies that, that are con- made concrete through Israel and, and the imagery of Israel as the nation of God. It's, it's a powerful story. And so when Jesus came, He started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for God has come. He's speaking, of course, as the end of the story. That creation, that fall, that recreation. The promise was that God's coming back. We saw that in the beginning of Mark's Gospel. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight His paths. The Lord is on the way. Right? And we start going through the Gospel of Mark. And who is the Lord? It's Jesus. The kingdom. He's saying the kingdom is here. Repent. Get ready. The good news. There's judgment coming. God's going to fix this world. God's going to make this world right. God's going to bend what, what is bent and straighten it out. He's going to save and redeem and, and He's going to rule again and all the fallen kingdoms and all the evil of the nations and all the, the wickedness, the demonic wickedness that we see through humanity. It's going to be dealt with and removed. Oh, Praise God for the promises coming true. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom in Himself. The King has come. And as proof of that, as proof of that, we see in the Gospels, we haven't seen this before in the Old Testament to the degree we see it in the New Testament. In the Gospels, we see a visible sign, a tangible sign of, of God's rule coming when He removes evil from people's lives, when He casts out demons. Uh, once we get to the book of Acts, there's less and less of, of um, exorcism going on. There's less and less casting out of demons. It's still an Acts, but by the time we get to the epistles of Paul and Peter and John, we don't see exorcisms. We don't see those kind of dramatic power encounters. There's still spiritual warfare going on. There's still prayers for protection of the saints and rebuking the enemy and resisting the devil. We see those, those teachings, but when Jesus comes as a sign of His preaching, as a sign of His promises, the Old Testament promises coming true, the, the demons are being cast away. A, a prophecy, as it were, of the coming kingdom when there will be no more problems with Satan or his demonic horde. No more problems with evil people when God comes back and he wins. When God sets up his kingdom. And same, same with all the healing we see in the Gospels. Uh, the promise is new life. The promise is resurrected life. That when the kingdom comes as a story moves on from creation to fall to recreation to kingdom glory, there'll be no more sickness, no more death in the new world. There'll be no more sickness, no more, more COVID, no more you fill in the blank in the new world that destroys and wrecks. No more abuse. No more addiction. No more struggling with finances. Man, God's world is coming. The stories that moves from, from creation, the fall, to recreation, to, to redemption, to kingdom glory. Man, it's going to be a great world. And that, that's what Jesus preaches. When, when John the Baptist preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here, he's telling the story saying, 
The Messiah is here. The kingdom has come. And when Jesus preaches it, he's like the story. And that's why people flood out to the wilderness because, yeah, the king is coming. God's going to make everything new. And, and, and so we see in the preaching here uh, that of, of, in Mark a story. But then, but then, of course, as we get in deeper into the gospel, we see Jesus going further. The, 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 the radical twist of the story is that the Son of God, the very one who came to deliver and save, He goes to die on a cross. He goes to redeem and rescue people from their sins. He's making all things new. God is making all things new. He's restoring all things to His appointed. He doesn't throw creation away. He's remaking creation. He's bringing us to a point where we fit into the new world by by saving us, and that's the celebration of the cross at the communion table, celebration of His sacrifice for us. And so we see the big picture. We, we, I hope you get the big picture. God's going to win over all evil, of all, all brokenness, whether human evil, demonic evil, governmental evil, institutional evils. One day it will all be set straight. And one day in Jesus Christ, you will be set straight. You'll be fully redeemed. Fully delivered from your sinful tendencies. From your flesh. Praise God. So God has the big picture. We see the big picture. I hope we all get the big picture of the redemptive sweep of history. How God is moving the world towards His appointed end. And it's going to be great. Heaven's going to be great. The new kingdom, the new heaven and new earth is going to be great. We, we have so much to celebrate. So much to be thankful for. Man, what we have ahead is so much better than anything we've experienced in this time, in this place, in this now. The age to come, I can't wait to get to heaven. To be with Christ will be far better than whatever we are experiencing now. We have so much to celebrate and worship. But what is God doing in the interim? We are, as it were... Uh, inaugurated kingdom. Jesus has come and He started something. But of course, the surprise, the twist, it didn't come all at once. The suffering Messiah came, but what about the reigning king? The, the, the lamb came, but what about the lion? Where's the victory? We're still waiting for the kingdom of God to arrive in its fullness. But what about the now? What is God doing about the Putins now? What is God doing about the institutions of evil now? What is God doing about your coworker who keeps stealing when you're not looking. What is God doing about the evil in our midst now? What is His salvation? What is His rescue? What's taking place now? And I don't know if you saw it in the first three chapters so far, but God has a plan. And I don't know if you understand the radical nature of this plan in the now but I hope you see that it includes you. We have here, uh, by the time we get to chapter 3, we've seen again and again these men, and eventually the women, called disciples. We've seen Jesus as He's moving. He intentionally approaches certain people and He calls them. He calls them to join Him. Remember Simon and Andrew. 
how he called them to drop the nets. And they dropped the nets and they followed him. Remember uh, James and John, they were standing in the boat preparing their nets with their father Zebedee. And he called them and they left their father standing in the boat with the hired men, which was a great insult to the father, by the way. It was a radical move. It was a radical call. They left. How he called Levi from the tax booth. By the time we get to this passage, the disciples, we've seen them again traveling with Jesus. They're going everywhere with him. Remember Levi, when, when, after he got called to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus, how he organized the Levi party, the Matthew party, and uh, how he brought the tax collectors, the sinners together to meet with Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're ministering with Jesus. Here, they, as Jesus is about to get crushed by the crowd who's trying to get healed, they're all pressing towards him. It's like this ominous, this pressing, grasping, grabbing kind of a thing. They're not interested in his gospel so much as they're interested in what he can do for them. He says, prepare a boat. And so they're working with him. Who's buying the food? Who's making the travel arrangements? There's these people called disciples that are becoming very, very important in Jesus' ministry. They're almost omnipresent. Wherever Jesus is, they are, except for the few times he escapes to the mountains so he can pray alone. The disciples are with him as they watch him, as they hear him, as they understand him, as they live with him. They are with Jesus. Look at verse 13 with me, please. What is God doing in the world? What is God doing to rescue the world? What is God doing to make a difference in the world today? And he went up, verse 13, on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he also gave the, the name Monergus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We see Jesus calling, uh, again, eventually women too, calling men and women to be with him, to go where he goes, to do what he does. It's like it's a plan or something. All the Gospels address it, all the Gospels talk about it, how God, in Jesus Christ, is drawing people to Himself in an intentional way. There's the crowds, there, there's the people following Him in a non-technical sense, people following Him for what He can do, but then there's those whom He's called, who respond in faith and see Him as worthy of following, of worthy of listening to, and worthy of serving. Now again, this is before the cross, and so it's always kind of awkward preaching out of the Gospels because the cross hasn't happened yet in, in the, the way that the, the Gospel writers are telling the story. So there's the big mission, and we know that Jesus, Mark has told us he, in so many words that He's the Messiah, He's the, the Son of Man from Daniel 7, one who's given all authority and power and might over the earth, over the world. We, we know who He is, and, and yet there's this, this, this tension because the disciples... They have connotations of what a Messiah is. They have a connotations of what the Messiah should do according to their cultural traditions. And so they don't really see him yet fully for who he is. They don't really get it fully. They don't really understand fully. And yet, they're following. 
And at a certain time, uh, you remember the lake scene, the summary report, the massive crowds that are gathering around Jesus. In some way, somehow, at a certain point, Jesus slips away from the crowd. And he goes to the boonies. He goes into the hills. And his disciples go with him. We don't know how that happened. God's power, authority, the crowds. Maybe he served everybody. Maybe everybody got healed. Maybe everybody went home. They got what they wanted from the miracle worker. But they go up in a mountain. Jesus goes up in a mountain. And what we see here is there's many disciples by this point. There's, there's many that have been called. Uh, it's, it's, Mark is so condensed and so he summarizes things so tight, it's a little bit hard to see. What we think here is there's a, a larger group of, of followers in the real sense of disciples. Uh, the, the word disciple, it, it, was, it was, uh, first came by, by the scribes and Pharisees. They, they, they approached Jesus' followers and said, you know, they, they, they talked about him as disciples. What is a disciple? It's a, it's a student, it's an apprentice, it's a learner of somebody. In the ancient days, uh, the rabbis of Jesus' time, they would teach the Torah, they would teach the law, they would live a life of Torah, they'd leave, live a life of law. And the, 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 the people who wanted to learn Torah, they would approach a rabbi and they would attach themselves to a rabbi, kind of like a college student, kind of like a college student choosing a college today. Jesus switched that around by where he called people to follow him, to be his apprentices, his students. He was calling them into training. Well, there's a big group, apparently. They, Jesus goes up on the mountain, and Luke chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that Jesus prayed all night. He prayed all night. He's asking for divine wisdom. He's asking for divine power. He's asking for the Father to speak as he decides who's going to lead his mission once he's gone. Who's going to lead his church in accomplishing his will once he's gone. Uh, these men, it, it's, it's rather Moses-like, isn't it? Moses going up on the mountain. Mark is telling us this account intentionally. Jesus is the new Adam, as it were, the new Moses, the new deliverer, the new rescuer, the new savior. We see later as he feeds people in the wilderness, he's the new giver of bread in the wilderness, the new shepherd of the sheep, as Moses was in the wilderness. But he's, he's here and he calls them to himself. So out of this big group, he summoned the big group to go with him into the wilderness. And, and there, there's a smaller group who he calls to be with him. And, and in, in the ESV, at least, it's, in a, in, in a, in a, it's kind of marked off as apostles. Uh, some people think that's an ad, but in Luke, it also mentions apostles. So what is an, an apostle? An apostle means a sent one. Sometimes it's used to describe missionaries or representatives. It just means someone sent. Sometimes it's, it's used today. Uh, some churches have... Pastors, they call themselves apostle, so-and-so. <laughs> what is meant here is that this is, those are maybe, you could think in your mind, small a apostles. They have the function of being sent. They have the function of going as a messenger, as a servant of somebody. But these, in your mind, you could call them big A apostles, capital A apostles. These are the ones that Jesus designated to lead his church. He gave them authority to do what he was doing. 
Now, the great mystery there, the great wonder, is why would he choose a betrayer? That's the time for another sermon. But here he's calling people to himself. What's their job description? Uh, I, I have to say that all apostles are the 12, and then the one that was chosen in Acts to take Judas's place, they're still disciples. Okay? They don't cease to be disciples. Students, learners, apprentices of Jesus, but they're put in a position to lead and transform the world. Uh, the apostles are selected, they're, they're chosen in their job description. Look at, look at verse uh, 14. So he appointed the 12 so that they might be with him. That's first. The second is that they might, he might send them out. That's the second. To be with him, so he might send them out. That's what apostle literally means, to be sent, sent out. Uh, to be with him. What does it mean for you and I to be disciples? It means that you and I are spending time with somebody that's more mature than us, somebody that's uh, maybe walking with Jesus a little bit longer with us than us, somebody that knows the Christian faith a, a bit broader than we do or a bit deeper than we do. Someone is our teacher and we are an apprentice, a student. Now the scary thing is everybody here has teachers. And sometimes we don't discern who our teachers are. Sometimes our teachers are, in my day, MTV. I was discipled by music television back in the 80s, not knowing that I was being discipled by not God. We all have teachers. Somebody's teaching us. Somebody's training us. Maybe it's a literary source. Maybe it's a, a, a media. Maybe it's a culture. Maybe it's a society. We all have teachers. Our teacher ultimately should be Jesus Christ. He's called these men to himself so that he could teach them. He's called these men to himself so they could be with him, so they could watch him, they could listen to him, they could ask questions, they would live with him, they'd see how he treated people, they see how he'd deal with problems. He, they saw so much of how he would live, and they were learning from him. Now, why would he spend all these months, even years, with these men? Because he was preparing them to continue his mission in the world. He was preparing them to do what he was starting to do by giving his life away, by preaching and proclaiming, by healing people, by delivering people from evil. He's given them the job of learning building up in him to be sent out. Now Mark summarizes again, to preach, to proclaim, sent out to do what? To proclaim, to preach, to announce, to testify, to be ambassadors, to be uh, pointers to God, to be representatives of God. Sent out to preach in all those different ways and to cast out demons and in the other Gospels, they, they, they bring out more of the healing aspect. And, and you could summarize it. He called them to preach and to heal, to proclaim and transform lives, to stand up against evil, to stand up against a world that is hurting people, 
to make right what is wrong. Jesus started a process that continues to this day. We know that ultimately God's going to win. He's going to bring the kingdom. He's going to set everything straight. But in the meantime, way back when, 2,000 years ago, He started a process where He poured Himself into 12 men. And they didn't know at the time. They didn't understand the cross at the time. They didn't understand He was going to be the Lamb of God. They thought He was going to be the conquering King. He's both, but they they didn't see the the sequence. It, it, It was predicted, but it was unexpected. It was a twist that He was going to go to the cross and die and then ascend to heaven. When he ascended to heaven, he had already trained people to continue on his work of redemption, of changing people's lives, of proclaiming the gospel. When people come to Jesus Christ, everything changes. When God moves in people's lives to convict them of their sin, when they hear the gospel, the conviction of sin, the conviction of evil happens. When God moves in someone's life, the scales fall off, their eyes are open to their need, their, their brokenness, their, their, their sinful tendencies, their, their evil ways. When, when they come to grips with that, they, they, they turn to God, they, 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 they realize they are so weak and powerless in themselves, they, they turn to God and they, they call to be saved, and the Holy Spirit comes in, comes in and there, there's, there's reformation taking place within a soul, there's transformation, and, and the, the, the plan is, what has God been doing? The plan is, He started with 12 men who are going to influence other people, who are going to influence other people, who are going to influence other people. And the world's changed life by life until Jesus comes back. People are rescued and redeemed by the preaching of the gospel. People are transformed by by Christians moving into evil, attacking, going standing against evil, moving against the enemy in various strategic and powerful ways. To preach and heal, to rescue and save. It's beautiful what God has planned. The gospel plan that includes you and includes me. He didn't leave this world, he didn't leave this world like as a deist God and and just wound it up and just left it to itself. No, he's working through his church. And, And it's summed up in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 21. He's getting ready to leave, to ascend to heaven. And he said in John chapter 20, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus, one of the titles of Jesus is Apostle. He is the Apostle and High Priest. He was sent as our missionary God. The Father sent a missionary into the world. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Apostle. He's the sent one. And he has ordained a structure called discipleship, called church, where he's set up people to be transformed by the church, to be transformed, to become men and women who are mature in Christ, who are empowered by the Spirit of God, to move into the world to make a difference by by first testifying and preaching and proclaiming and sharing and loving, to bring a conversion into someone's life by the power of God. And then, then there's edification where people are baptized and they're taught and they're built up and they're encouraged and they themselves are, are given the tools to make disciples. It's a beautiful thing when the church is actually about its mission, about the mission that it's been given to make disciples. 
Have you thought of yourself the way that Jesus thinks of you? Have you thought of yourself as the way Jesus has called you to be? Have you thought of yourself as someone that God has called and empowered to change reality? You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a sent one in Jesus Christ. He's called you to be with Him. Called you to be with Him. Called you to be and learn from Him through His people. He set up the pattern, the, the tradition, the passage to change the world. It's life upon life, one life at a time. You and I preaching and proclaiming and sharing the gospel. You and I pouring into younger believers and ourselves. You and I giving them responsibility. You and I calling them to serve. And then they pass it on to the next generation. They pass it on to the next generation. And over time, this exponential growth, this transformational growth, Jesus expected that the world would be changed as lives are changed and they come under the reign of the King. Their values are changed. Their principles are changed. Their hearts are changed. And we see what happens when hearts aren't changed, when lives aren't changed, when people live in the world. They run over cars with tanks. And evil reigns. God has a plan for transform, transforming the world until the day He comes. And the plan is the church. The disciples of Jesus Christ, the churches, the millions of churches around the world, in the United States, in Ukraine, in Russia, they are called for, to be God's agent of change. The churches, God's people, are plan A in His mission and His vision to change lives and rescue people from evil. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the ambassadors, the representatives of God. And He's empowered us to preach and to heal. We do not live for ourselves as Christians. We go into the world to make a difference in Jesus' name. God has been faithful to provide the world for a vehicle of rescue and deliverance and salvation. May we, as that vehicle, as that church, change the imagery of the world running over people and destroying people, may we be that vehicle that brings the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people and rescues people and transforms people forever. We are God's answer to the evil of the world. We, as disciples of Christ, are sent on mission to make a difference for Him. To make a difference in the lives of the world. We are sent. It's God's plan played out in real time. Would you please stand in His presence today. Lord God, give us the grace to endure these days. Give us the grace as we look around the world and we see the brokenness and we see the evil happening. Give us the grace to enter into the fray. Give us the grace to enter into the world's problems. Give us the grace and the, and the calling, the renewed sense of purpose and mission. 
Give us grace to enter into the world's problems and enter into the world's issues as representatives of Jesus Christ. Lord God, may our oneness, as we sang in that song, be part of our testimony, part of our witness. Lord, as we are faithful, lift up prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. May our prayers come as, as a great and mighty, powerful work against evil in this world. Lord God, as we are people who have been sent, may you give us the grace to step into people's lives and speak the gospel. Speak the truth about reality and truth about people's lives and the truth about sin and the truth about salvation. May we be spokesmen and ambassadors and teachers for you, Lord God. Lord God, empower us to be the church. Lord, forgive us if we've become passive and we've forgotten our calling and our mission. Lord God, thank you for caring about the world Thank you for sending us in the name of Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Lord. We do pray for the Ukraines. We pray for all the peoples in that land. We pray that you would rescue them, Lord, that you would save them, that you would deliver them. We pray for the end to that war. We pray for the missionaries that have stayed in those towns and those cities to preach. We pray for their brothers and sisters in those different villages that are preaching and sharing their lives. We pray that you would help them stand for the truth and their lives would be changed and saved forevermore. Go with us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.